You're listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves in the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Each week, Roger is joined by Joe and Vince. Welcome to For the Lord, this is Roger coming to you on Wednesday, the 13th of July. We did have a week off last week. Unfortunately, there were a couple of family emergencies for myself that just kind of destroyed the week. But we are back. Now, if you recall on our last episode, which happened to be a couple of weeks ago, we discussed Valhalla initially. And Vince and I had some differing opinions and he's gotten to play a significant portion of it. When I had Twittered that we talked about it on the um on the last podcast, the publisher reached out on Twitter as well and said that they were looking to see, forward to seeing our conversation this week and as well to, for me to give it a shot and try to play more of it, which I did do. I, I actually finished the first chapter of it, but then I stopped there. Now, before I let Vince go off for as long as he wants, <laughs> I'm going to be up up front right from the get-go and say that I'm not likely to take part in said conversation once it begins. I don't want to be the person that is bringing everybody down on a game that they enjoy. That being said, however, I've read a lot of different reviews of this. I've heard a lot of people talking about it. Sushi and Smashy from the uh, Herons of the Cherry Blossom podcast now have a new podcast where they're discussing games as well, so I'll put the link for that in the show notes. Check it out. And their first episode was on this game as well. The problem that I have with it, and I I touched on that a couple of weeks ago when I was saying how I I feel that a lot of the writing is juvenile. And having finished the first chapter, I can say I'm sticking to that. When I, from the point where I was to when I finally said, okay, I finished the chapter, I'm done. There literally was another three or four comments about her being flat chested and that kind of thing to me just screams juvenile and there's a lot more there happened to be a couple of stronger interactions that i had not the least of which being at the end of the chapter when you sit down and have beers with your boss and depending on how much you drink you share more and so i made sure that she was drinking enough and had an interesting conversation my main issue with the game is Again, with the glorification of child prostitution. And that's something that I'm not able to let go of. Nor am I able to just say, yeah, this happens in the game, but we're just going to put that aside and concentrate on the rest, which was good. Because it doesn't work that way in my brain. When it's something that is that serious in nature, I can't do that. And I've read a lot of other people, and listen, who do just that. And it, I'm not going to lie, I'm not making a, a big stink or a big deal about it, But it actually bothers me how easily people are dismissing this. Because it's not like it's mentioned and then that's it. It's mentioned a lot. And they make light of it by this robot having such enthusiasm for it. And making comments like the the comment where she says that all of her holes are being filled not for the purpose that they were made for as well. And there's a lot of things. And it it just, it it bothers me that it's in the game, but it bothers me more how easily people are dismissing the glorification of child prostitution. 
that is all I'm going to say about it. And again, Vince has a lot to say about it. I'm going to shut up and let him enjoy it and, and, and say what he has to say. But again, it's something that I did have to, to get out because I think that it's important for there to be voices against these things as well and not just people dismissing it. So, yeah, when we talked last week, my opinions were based on, well, last week, two weeks ago, uh, my opinions were based on secondhand experience of the first couple of in-game days. So I, before I discussed it more, I really wanted to put my time into it. So I completed the game several just, times. Just so to, I know, how many chapters are there? There are three chapters. Okay. Uh, it, the game ends uh, on New Year's. Okay. So I think it starts on December 10th or 12th or something like that. I don't recall. Yeah. So I put a lot of time into the game. I reached the ending. I unlocked all of the optional endings, uh, all of the optional like achievement-based stuff, although now I'm finding out there is other hidden dialogue stuff you can get to, but that's... I'm pretty much done with the game at this point. I'm not going to dive back in just to get a couple extra lines of dialogue. So I have a lot of positives to say about the game that we're going to start with. First of all, I adore just the general style of the game yeah you know, the the neon cyberpunk is something we've discussed multiple times on this game it's a cool near aesthetic yeah. i love it i like the the 2d art style the characters are very vibrant very unique you get a lot of character out of them just visually before they even start opening up to you in the dialogue so i, I really did enjoy that the music is top notch like absolutely fantastic i spent a good deal of time like curating my jukebox playlist for the game because that was pretty important. And then just the concept of it, of a different take on a visual novel where it's not your traditional dialogue choices, where there are choices being made, but it's done in a more, I don't want to say elegant manner, but it's not just a dialogue tree. It's not, you know, a Bioware wheel or anything like that. It's something different. It's a new way of approaching this branching storytelling. Now, the actual interface for said mechanic, I agree it could use some work, especially after you put in many hours into this game. It, you really see how simplistic it is and that there's not enough variety to the drink menu to to keep it fresh and interesting over the course of six seven hours however long an initial playthrough is not to mention future playthroughs by the time i was blowing really a speed running the game to get extra endings i had practically everything memorized so they i think the interface could use some work but i still really do adore the concept of being the bartender and having that effect on the storytelling from a mechanical point of view in an addition or not in addition to but instead of the traditional narrative uh, attempt I, I do really like that and i hope that's something that either sukaban or other developers realize and not replicate i don't want every game to be a bartending game but find new ways that they can do branching storytelling uh like you said that end of chapter one the conversation between jill and the boss really enjoyed that and jill's story over the course of the game went in directions i never was expecting it there was a lot of like really heart-wrenching really personal stuff for jill here that she goes through now by the end of the game like the last week i want to say was pretty lackluster overall for me and this is where i i'm coming to your side roger where 
the more I played of the game, the more cracks I saw in the writing. The more I felt that the writer did not have a grasp on how women actually communicate. I'm not saying women don't talk about their breasts and their periods. It's a thing that happens, but as presented in the game, it's way too much, way too often. It's it, it, the more you play it, if you were noticing this that early on, I can tell you, you're not going to want to finish the game because it just, it becomes more and more prevalent over the course of the game that it's, I, I think juvenile is a good way of wording it because it's, I think it's just a misunderstanding of how to write a character that's not you. And that's something we talk about a lot of as a writer, you have to understand the different voices of different characters. And I don't think the writing in this game quite captured that very well at all. It, a lot of stuff, especially towards the end of the game was hitting me kind of really out of character. Like it, it was really awkward, really weird. Again, for me, Anytime I'm playing a game, traditionally or typically a Japanese game, which has this kind of thing, wherein adults in the game are making jokes about other adults mm-hmm. being flat chested, that to me strikes me as so juvenile. It, it feels it's like very clearly trying to replicate the dialogue of a teenage anime. Yeah. Which to me, those in are a setting that is very much not, not that. Yeah, and in, in bits and pieces, I can kind of like move on past it. But as the evidence continued to pile up for me, it, it became harder and harder to get past. Right. Um, That's a shame too. Like it really mm-hmm. is. I, I, there's there's literally a scene where, uh, without spoiling the actual storyline, Jill gets some very bad news, and she carries that bad news through the next couple of in-game days where it actually affects her bartending. And, of course, one of the asshole guys that keeps popping up throughout the, the story comes in. And like I said, the asshole guys in the story, I don't mind them being assholes because they're never presented as anything other than assholes. And all the other characters keep saying, wow, that guy's an asshole. So I, I don't have a problem with their dialogue in context, out of context, yes, it's very troublesome. But in context, it it's not a problem per se. But you know, one of these asshole guys is like, "Oh, you're on your period," and <laughs> it, that's just such like the obvious stupid guy response of a woman is not being happy. It must be for biological reasons. Which again, that scene in and of itself, in context, like, okay, you're an idiot. But then. You know, two drinks later, one of the female characters walks in, sees she's in a bad mood, is like, oh, are you on your period? And it was just like, really? Like, no, just just no. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that aside, though, I did think that there were other, like, really strong characters. We, we talked about the boss. The boss continues to be awesome. I found Gillian to be a lot of fun as, like, you know, a character that Jill could play off of. I actually really enjoyed one of the secondary storylines involving Say the uh, the white knight, the police officer that comes in early on, and her friend Stella. There was a lot of really good storytelling there about like the role of authority in society, you know, dealing with overbearing overbearing police forces, stuff that rings very resonant in today's day and age, especially in America. And, and like those characters remain strong throughout the game. Like those were my favorite parts of the game was when you were dealing with one or both of those two characters. Like there was even two completely different optional endings involving the two of them. Uh, 
one was very powerful narratively and the other was just like kind of like a happy ending for the two these two characters that have been through a lot so i really really did enjoy that and that's what i want out of a cyberpunk sci-fi setting is that setting is so useful and so powerful towards telling these important stories about modern society and taking an aspect of modern society to an extreme like you can in you know, a far future dystopian setting and using that as an allegory for today's world. Like, so I say and Stella's storyline, I have nothing but praise for. I absolutely loved all of it beginning to end. What's funny is that um, as I was playing through, there were moments when I went back to it after the podcast and, and was progressing through, there were moments where I was playing and I was thinking, oh, that was good. That little mm-hmm. interaction was decent. And that's when I saw the potential mm-hmm. of, wow, look at what this could have been, which included a gameplay that is not really like a visual novel and not really like a game, but rather something that you, the the the, the puzzle pieces are just thrown at you and then you just grab them as fast as you can and try to place them in any fashion that makes sense on on, on the bar as it would happen in this case and it kind of reminded me in a way of her story of kind Mm -hmm. of hunting for clues and and getting information but in pieces it wasn't until i'd done several playthroughs that i really appreciated the full range of some of the stories so that's again those are things that i thought wow there's potential here but that potential is marred by juvenile writing and once again the glorification of child prostitution so there's these very serious things that just prevented me from being able to enjoy it fully Mm-hmm. And I, I enjoyed some of the other supporting cast members like Betty and Deal. They're not important to really overall narrative, but, you know, they're just fun characters to pop up once every couple in game days and give you a change of pace from the more you know regular cast, the primary cast members. Like uh, I also liked Kiramiki, the uh, the pop idol android. Uh, some interesting stuff there that I'm going to wrap around back to later about, you know, the fact that she was designed for a specific purpose and how she was accepting that and finding her role in society as somebody who wasn't born into it. Uh, some of the other just like random characters that pop up, the literal brain in a jar. Like there, there was just some fun stuff in there to break up the monotony of serving the, the main cast members over and over again, which I did appreciate. But that's, that's the good stuff. <laughs> There's a lot more about this that I did find very disappointing. Because, like I said, they showed the power of the cyberpunk sci-fi setting with what they did with Say and Stella of looking at an aspect of the society and not just telling a good story, but the the social aspects of it. I think, Joe, you can back me up here. That's that's really what a lot of strong cyberpunk stuff is, is taking things to their logical extremes and playing off that to, to see what's not right about a lot of things that are going oh, on. Yeah. It's the core concept of anything that's, that's cyberpunky. Like that, that's sort of like, that's your meat and potatoes right there. That's, mm-hmm. that's the ember from which you start the fires, which is why I, I was looking at some of the, the red light characters, if you will, as okay, this is pretty fucked up right here, but it can be used as a storytelling device that, and a very powerful one going forward. If they do this right. Um, Starting off with Streaming Chan, who is the, you know, the girl who streams 24-7, her life 24-7, and 
all of the stuff that goes with that with being you know, a premium subscriber. You get sexy time and all this and that. Again, it taken as that itself, you're like, well, that's pretty stupid. That's kind of ridiculous and over the top. But on initial presentation, it was it was like I she definitely came off as it was all an act like this is just, you know, this is how she's been able to to earn her living. And this is what you know, she she's just doing it. And at the end of her first interaction with you and you see some of the stuff, not just on um, from her dialogue, but like reading the message boards that are in the game and how the viewers are reacting to that. Like you find out like this girl's got problems like she's she's on drugs because she feels the need to, you know, constantly be performing for the camera to keep earning a living. And I was like, okay, this, this could be going to an interesting storytelling place, but it never got there. The next time you see her, she just, you know, laughs it off, like realizes, Hey, I was passed out in the corner of your bar and I had some of my highest ratings ever because the audience was interested in just the conversations that were going on in the bar. And, while this could have been used as a way to kind of motivate her to change her life, it was, and trust me, like I said, I played through this game several times. I never saw any different dialogue, like, you know, one or two lines here or there, but nothing that actually changed the story because it gets really, really gross. Like to the point where I'm not going to reiterate some of the stuff here. Like if you had issues with the first chapter of the game, Holy shit. Like there's some stuff in the last chapter involving streaming chan that I was like, why would anybody write this? Good to know. Not that I was gonna finish it, but, <laughs> but still good to know. <laughs> and then of course we have the same issue with Dorothy. And like I said, Dorothy as a character is very problematic for a number of reasons that you have stated, Raj, but Throughout the game, they keep seeding these ideas of the Lilum, the, the android race that's in this game. You know, they're created for a purpose. They're programmed to have a sense of self-satisfaction when they fulfill this purpose. And not only that, there's a point in the game where Dorothy is very messed up psychologically. She's having like these body dysmorphia issues and she, she, a lot of like really strong overtones of, you know, who am I? What am I? You know, it is, am I me? And like, I, I wanted so much for the game to take that next step into, you know, this isn't a, a girl that's happy about what she's doing. This is somebody who was made for, let's be honest, a pretty vile act and just thinks that this is what's good for her. And the game never goes there. And I, trust me, I went through every possible option with Dorothy unlocking the various endings, trying to figure out a way to get there. And you find out that that's not what's, that's not what's bothering her. What's bothering her is her issues with uh, her air quotes, mother, the human she was sent to live with when, after she came out of the factory, if you will, to kind of, ease her into society and that the reason she was given to this woman was her own young daughter had recently passed away. Oh so I was like, even God. then, like, may, maybe that's Jesus. why she wants to keep the younger body of like trying to live up to a certain standard. But it just, it, it never crossed over into that social commentary area that was, it was stand, it was standing on a rock in the middle of the pond of good storytelling 
and somehow never touched the water. Like it, it, I was so disappointed because that's the only place this character would have been able to go to be satisfying for me. And for, I would hope a lot of people, because otherwise it's like you said, it's just, it serves no purpose other than to sexualize a visually young girl. So it it was so, so disappointing to me that it never, even though it's, it laid all the breadcrumbs out for that storytelling option, it never got there. You don't want me to start. No. I'll just shut up and let you keep going. I, I, th- I think that's pretty much all I, I have to say. Like, I could sit here and talk about every little minor detail for, you know, a long time. But I, overall, I still enjoyed the game. Like, I, I, I really appreciate it for what it was. And if there had been maybe some more experience to to the writing or... Maybe just some more time and development to to more fully flesh out the stories. They, I still think they were trying to tell and just couldn't for whatever reason, either through time, money, or lack of skill. I couldn't tell you. But I, I enjoyed the experience. There were some really bad parts. There were some really good parts. And I, I can't ignore those good parts because of the bad parts. The bad parts are really fucking bad. But the good parts were also very solid. So it's a really weird place for me because I I said I played it. I played it. I put hours upon hours upon hours into it. I unlocked every achievement. I can verify stupid fucking hardcore shoot 'em up Toho game. So (laughs) I I totally saw you logging those hours, too. So I know for a fact that is 100 percent legit. I, I, it, it that's my overall feeling about this game is just pure and utter disappointment because they were so close to doing so many things right and just couldn't cross that finish line. See, I actually, and I know I'm hard on the game, as I have been on other games that are stupid writing like this. I, you can't blame this on on time or something like that. This is just point blank poor writing. And that's that's just the way it is. Take out the child prostitution aspect. And despite the juvenile writing, the racism, the misogyny, I still probably, probably would have finished it. Mm-hmm. Just to give it a fair shot. Because like you, you said, it's the mechanics behind it are solid. I, the bartending gets old. But they could have tweaked that a little bit more to make yeah. it more interesting. But still, it's it's an interesting concept. The idea of getting through your story by means of the patrons, again, that could work. It's an interesting concept. And then the especially when you do have that moment with your boss at your, your apartment, that showed me, oh, okay, so there's more to it than just being always behind the bar kind of thing. Because the stuff at her apartment by herself I found largely boring. So I thought, okay, well, there, there, you there go. were also some interesting scenes where they did break away from that. You're the one behind the bar. Like there's even one point where Alma, the hacker physically removes you from behind the bar and starts serving you drinks to, to help you open up after this horrible, right. You know, life changing experience. She has there. There's some really nice, just pure dialogue segments where, you know, they're like, okay, I'm going on my break now. Let's go talk out in the alley while I, while I smoke a cigarette. So it, there, there was a lot of really good dialogue when they break away from the, the traditional setup. So I, I, that's another thing I did enjoy that I forgot to mention. Yeah. But again, I, 
there are things that I personally get can get past. And what's interesting is, and this is again going back to the writing, they could have kept the character in, but not glorified the child prostitution. And made it something, like you said, that she mm-hmm. does not enjoy, that she has a problem with, and things like that. It's not that you can't put it in the game. It's how you handle it when it's when it's in there. And had they made it something that this was one of the characters that was very dark because of what they have to go through. All of a sudden, you're like, okay, I want to know more about your story now. Mm-hmm. And is there something that I can do to help you so that you can get out of this? Exactly. All of these things. But when it's joked about... And things like that, it's just like, no, forget it. And, and, and not only joked about, when the payoff for getting through the serious parts of her story is, okay, let's go talk, tell some more jokes about dicks. Like, with, with, like I said, with both her and Streaming Chan, like, they're, they're very parallel storylines of these female characters doing their best in a really shitty world and really shitty situations that are on the cusp of some sort of self-discovery and then the payoff for the story is just known more jokes about sexual situations. It was like, again, so disappointing. Yeah. All right. Well, any other parting thoughts or are we moving on? I, I think I've said enough. Oh, I definitely did as well. Okay. I've been playing. I'm finally getting my money's worth from Star Wars. Because <laughs> I am playing the shit out of it now all the time. Part of the the reason why I was playing so much too was not just because I was interested in the light versus dark event or dark versus light, but also because I didn't need my thumb. <laughs> so it was it was that's, very nice. That's one of the reasons I played so much Valhalla. Work has kicked my ass so much over the last few weeks. I could play Valhalla laying down on my couch. Yeah. <laughs> so I've been playing a lot of it, and what I've noticed is I, I joined a couple of guilds just to immediately get in because there's the influx of players has been ridiculous. Like you're talking about being in, in gills where there's like 25 plus people on most nights and in SWOTOR, like that hasn't happened in forever. So it's been really nice. It's allowed me to also really get a feel for, in addition to reading the, the chats, how people are liking the event. And it really has divided most players, of course, the veteran players who have a roster full of alts already are not happy about it. And then you have the new people who are like, hey, this is fun kind of thing. And returning people also enjoying it somewhat. So it's kind of split the the, the people enough. And it's, it's, it's not an argument, but a conversation I've gotten with, with far too many people explaining that just because there's an event doesn't mean you have to do it. And people complaining about, well, there's no content for for endgame players and you're like the expansion is still going on the chapters are still coming out for the expansion like they have released a crap load of content and and so it's kind of like been annoying in that regard because a lot of people don't understand it's just a means of getting people in and now hopefully yes they will work on some endgame flashpoints and raids and different things like that hopefully one can hope one of the things that i was disappointed in in a way that it, it showed that they actually aren't respecting veteran players is that they did announce during a live stream last week. Was it last week? Yeah, it was last week that um, they were going to increase the character slots per realm so that you could have more because they understood that people had a lot of characters already, but they really skirted around if it would cost you anything. Mm. Well, turns out, yeah, you have to buy a 
fucking token from their cartel marketplace in order to increase it. And it's like, that's that sucks. Like, I know that you guys really like to dip into our pockets for everything with this game, if you're not subbed especially, but that's just, come on. So, yeah, that was not quite as fun because, like, my the main server I play on is full. Like, it's full. I'm going to have to delete a character to work on another character for the Light versus Dark. That being said, anyways, I've been working on a... I, I, I leveled a, a trooper to 50 and just to have a dark side trooper and then I, I had a light side bounty hunter. And uh, what happens is that when you reach level 50... If you do, and it's only a couple of flashpoints, you get a three pieces of adaptive armor that level with you, plus the three of them give you a 25% bonus to experience uh, as you're leveling. And then if you get the rest of the pieces as well, that just keeps going up. So between that and the little buffs that you get for bonus to XP as well, which they give you those like crazy as you're questing. Wow, you level fast. Like, I, my bounty hunter is level 63 now, like very close to 64 and I haven't even finished her story quest. Like, I'm still in Chapter 2. Like, I went and I did the Rise of the Hut stuff, because I'd actually never finished that. So I went and finished that. But before I do Revan, which was the next expansion, I want to finish her chapters. And she's like fucking 63, and she's still working on, like, Chapter 2. So the great thing is, is that you drop down or move up in levels based on what the planet is that you're on. So that's great. So I'm still getting experience wherever I am. And, and yeah, I've just been having a lot of fun being back in the game. It's, uh, it's, it's been really cool. And the influx of players has made a huge, huge difference. Because, again, it's yeah, it's a Bioware that you can play alone if you really want to. But it is still an MMO. It's nice to be able to shoot the shit with people. Cool. Now then, my I was telling Joe yesterday I could finally alt-tab <laughs> with my thumb. We very excited for Roger. I was awesome. And it, without pain. And uh, and today, I was bouncing, motherfucker. I was on my speeder and I was hitting spacebar and I was like, will you look at that? Overwatch, here I come. <laughs> I can finally jump again. This is awesome. Because I used to have to, like, move my hand off and use my fingers to <laughs> jump but anyways so we did get some overwatch news as well we got some some patch notes for what's coming up and as well some another big announcement that joe's going to take but of the patch notes i don't know about you joe but i am very disappointed in the announcement of not allowing doubles in competitive play no, you know what? That was a, I 100% expected that to happen. I am surprised it took this long. And have you been playing competitive at all? I actually I hurt my thumb right at that point. So I did. Okay. Just an So competitive runs into this problem where you can have a complete asshole team. And I am 100% guilty of this. And I will <laughs> freely admit this. Where you can have multiple Bastions, multiple Chorbjorns, uh, multiple Reinhardts, and completely skew the other team. Uh, there are certain maps that really push that. Uh, Route 66 is a big one for that, because if you have multiple Bastions, you, you the other team can't leave. Like, if you're defending against it, there's no way they can get through, because you can set up in a way that it is... V- 
literally impossible no, for anybody to no, get past the first bend. No, it's not impossible. It can be done. Again, it's a game about skill and counters. I and by removing uh, by removing doubles from competitive play, you're removing an aspect of skill from what is supposed to be the skills that's, category. That's not what I understand. What you, guys, you guys are having two different conversations right now. Yeah, that, that I was just going to say that. But what they're doing is the same thing that wound up happening in Team Fortress with, like, the engineers and why they started limiting the number of, of players you can have on that. Um, I get it. I understand it. I actually support it. I really do. Um, and the reason I do is because those skew teams tend to be a thing. I understand it's a game of skill encounters. I get that. I think that this was necessary be- to actually make competitive a little more fun because right now competitive is kind of a shit show. For other reasons, which we're not going to get into here, uh, but it's just not the best competitive multiplayer online experience that I've had across a lot of games. That said, everything else they're doing is fine. <laughs> Whether I mean, uh, Zenyatta's buff is actually kind of huge. The, the Zenyatta and Diva buffs had me bouncing up and down. The, the Diva buff is absolutely monstrously huge. Uh, basically, for those of you who don't know, if you've been living under a rock. Uh, it basically gives her an alt fire mode, right click, uh, to bring her shield up, her defense matrix, instead of having to be a toggle. And it'll operate very similar to how Reinhardt's shield does right now, uh, where it has a set value that goes back and forth. Uh, I do enjoy the fact that also her ultimate has finally been tweaked. I've been bitching about this since the game started. I don't understand why Diva's alt kills her, but nobody else on her team. Mm-hmm. They finally fixed it. They're like, yeah, that doesn't make sense. She no longer blows herself up. It also now takes three seconds instead of four to, to blow up. <laughs> Most of which, my matches as D.Va, I have more suicides than actual yeah. Yes, <laughs> Which is stupid. At least to me, it's stupid. Uh, but I'm glad they're fixing that. Uh, Mercy actually got a buff as well, which is, as a Mer- Mercy player, is great. Uh, her damage buff is going to be boosted to 50% extra damage. Uh, the only di- downside is you can't stack it with other mercies like you could before so you can't have multiple mercies and then you know i'll go into a reinhardt and watch him destroy everything and she can also cast her alt while moving it's kind of a big one and then soldier 76 uh his main attack now takes a bit of time to the the spread takes a little bit of time to to reset which is good and mccree uh they kind of pulled the nerf back a little bit and he now gets full damage at longer ranges, but not at extreme ranges, which is which is good. Now that said, that's exciting and all, but here's the real thing but to be excited about. Can, can can we wrap back around to the whole character limit thing for two seconds? Because oh, <laughs> done. Because no, because I would like to say because you said you guys were having two different conversations that I 100% agree with Joe that being able to stack six bastions or a half shit ton of Torbjorns is not competitive, but Roger's also right that limiting to one is not the right answer. I, I would say if you're going to limit two is a much better limit. That's actually what exactly what I Twittered as well. Mm-hmm. Like limited to two, not, not three or more, but I mean, yeah, it the, makes, problem, it, though, the, the problem with that, I think they have though, is then you, you run into a similar situation where because you have a lot of similar heroes you can do very similar things Two two bastions, two Torbjorns and two Symmetras does about the same thing as six bastions or six Torbjorns. Eh, I disagree you, with you. You and, can disagree. But, that's fine. 
But I again, it's you're you're if you don't think there's going to be problems limiting to one, I think you're kidding yourself because it's just going to be a whole different amount of problems because what's going to sure. wind up happening is that you're going to have a lot of people who are going to be forced to play characters that they don't want to. Yeah, you're going to, you're going to have that one ultimate setup of Mercy, Reinhardt, you know, et cetera, you know, McCree that, okay, th- this is the top comp. This is what everybody has to play. Okay. I wasn't done. That wasn't I'm the sorry. point I was I'm making. Sorry. <laughs> the point I was making is that whoever no, comes in last, Overwatch, so. right. whoever comes in last now suddenly has to just pick from the dregs essentially because it's it's going to be the, the the top ones are going to be chosen you're not going to be playing often the character that you are most comfortable with because somebody else is going to have it look at how many freaking divas they're out the diva sure. players or or hanzo all right that's fine if we get less of those motherfuckers but <laughs> like everybody wants to play but diva or other things but oh, hold on hold on but what i'm saying is that now you're going to have a lot more people dropping out of games you're going to have a lot more people who are going to be bitching a lot more because they're playing characters that they don't want to. You're going to have people that are going to be potentially dying on purpose just so that they go back to the character select screen and maybe be able to switch to another character that they yes. want to play. There's going to be a lot of different problems that you're going to have sure. that for competitive play that is supposed to be far more about the, the working together and being a good team, which trust me, I know that's not what's happening now. But it's not going to get better because of this by any stretch. No, and here's what's going to improve it. And, and here's my counter argument to that. Dota, League of Legends, every other game that's ever come out that requires multiple heroes that only let you select one of each type that have already faced this problem and solved it. The way that you solve it, and it will be a problem immediately, I'm not going to deny that. But as more heroes are added and as those rosters expand, which if the rate of what we're seeing is any indicator, it's not going to be too bad for too long, especially because competitive seasons are not going to be as long as other games right now. You're not going to see this problem for too much longer because if you have 15 supports to pick from, you're going to have, or, or multi-purpose characters, or, you know, 30... You're still be stuck playing Mercy. You may still be stuck playing Mercy, or you may be able to play something that's a hybrid, like Anna, which we're going to talk about in a minute here. Every game with this type of thing has experienced this problem. You are absolutely 100% right on that. They've all solved it by diluting the pool by adding more heroes. It becomes less of an issue as you increase the options. The other side of that coin is... It is a competitive game that requires you to communicate heavily with your team. If you, and this is my personal experience with this mode already, because on PBE it's like that. And this week's brawl is this exactly where everybody in the lobbies that I've played out of the 30 games that I've played over the last, since the brawl went live, everybody's, what are you good at? What's your most comfortable heroes? People are talking to each other more than I've interacted with anybody since the game's released when I'm solo queuing. That's what I think is going to start happening a little bit more. It's not going to be perfect. Yes, there's going to be problems. You're always going to have that asshole that sits on Reaper. You're always going to have that asshole that, you know, tries to insta-lock. That happens in every game. But again, it'll happen less as it dilutes the pool, and maybe people will talk to each other more. We don't know how it's going to play out, and they may rescind it. They may go, okay, well, two of each, or they may go, you know, they may stick to their guns, or they may completely pull it back altogether. We don't know. We're going to have to see how it plays out. I, again, I don't, I'm not dismissing your concerns because it is 100% valid. I just think that it's, over time, it's not going to become a problem anymore. 
I think that you had much better experiences so far with this than potentially, I don't know, Maybe. most people. But I've been, Tristan's been talking to me about his, because that's all he's been playing. So I've been hearing his stories as he's telling me everything that's going on. And he's not having the same experiences. Sure. At and all. And it's fair. been, it's been bad. It's been Horrific to the point where he, at point, does not want to play. And you've seen his freaking level and how much he enjoys playing this game and how many hours he's pumping <laughs> in. And for him to say, like, I, I don't want to play this and, and it just being not fun at all. And that's all competitive play. Well, and, and again, we'll see how it shakes out. And, and that's a perfectly valid uh, experience. I can only judge based on what I've seen, yeah. but that I'm not surprised I, I say that, I guess. I don't think, and this is an opinion based on, I, like, I haven't played a ton of League of Legends. Um, I don't think that the heroes for this is comparable to... It is. That's it, an opinion. No, I, 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 I would I, argue... Because, again, you're you're not factoring in not just the game, but also the players. Overwatch is in a, an entire different category because of who plays the game, because it is Blizzard. So the sure. likelihood of players who play LOL being comfortable, more comfortable with switching out and things like that is far more likely than it is in a game like Overwatch. Now, I shouldn't say a game like Overwatch. I mean Overwatch because we are getting a ton of people who are coming in from, from WoW, from Hearthstone, mm-hmm. from things like that that are not MOBA players. These are parents and grandparents sometimes. Me, okay? <laughs> we don't have to look far for a fucking grandparent. And so I don't think that it's the same because, again, the the manner in which the, 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 the game works for heroes on Overwatch is very different from my perspective. Again, it might not sure. be for you, but I'm telling you, it is very much for me. It's way different from one to the other. And there's a lot more attachment to the heroes in Overwatch than I've ever felt for other heroes. Oh, I will 100% agree and, with, and, with that just because of the fan base. Not to say that League of Legends players aren't absolutely rabid about their, their characters. I've seen some weird shit on the internet, trust me. But No, not on the internet. <laughs> but no, I'm, I'm with you. The, the thing, though, too, is is we're also at this point where Overwatch is in its nascent stage where it's just starting to hit its its it's feel for like competitive play. It's going to evolve. It is going to change. And it's going like, we're going to see wacky shit like this until they finally hit it right. And that's, what's going to happen. Cause that's what, that's what uh, League of Legends did. That's what Dota did. That's what way back in the day, the original Dota stuff was like, it's, that's how that goes. Expect this to be rocky. Expect this to change frequently. I, I hate to say it, but that's that's what's going to happen in order to make competitive play a thing. But what's going to wind up happening, in my opinion, is it's only going to get better once they actually start doing a lot more esports with it. When you start having real teams that I, are showing off a lot more in competitive play, that's going uh, to discourage a lot of people from going into competitive play if they're not a part of a team or even that I good. I think you are underselling that whatsoever because and I don't want to argue about this for, for hours, and I can't. I honestly can't. I've seen uh, Heroes of the Storm, League of Legends, and Dota streamers, like professional teams, and the effect it has in those games because I play those games frequently. You have the MLGs, the LCS plays, 
and then everybody wants to be them. And they go into those ranks and they go into those places. They, they don't want to be professionals. They just want to, you know, I've seen this work. I know this works. I can make this work. I'm going to go and do this. And it creates a completely different atmosphere than you're thinking. It doesn't lessen it. But it, it intensifies. You're still not thinking about the audience. You're still thinking about that's, that's the audience for well, you're thinking about the audience for Lowell, not the audience for Overwatch. So again, going back to the soccer the moms, even the grandparents. No, but what I'm saying is that there's a large percentage of the players for Overwatch that are not nearly as involved in esports or things like that. They're not watching the the shows to see what strats are working on all of that all they know of it is when they pop in and they play and they mess around kind of thing well those people which are, are a going to big be really chunk are going to get discouraged when they're coming up against very strong teams and competitive play and they're going to stop playing competitive that's, that's why i'm saying i think that's when the problem will start to solve itself Okay, and that's and that is fair. When they realize a competitive play is not for them, sure, yeah, absolutely, I agree with you on that one. So that's what I'm and, okay. and that's 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 where I'll say though the audience for Overwatch and the audience for competitive mode Overwatch are two different audiences. I would agree with that because I probably never will play competitive mode in Overwatch. It's not my thing. I'm not a super competitive gamer, and I'm definitely not playing it in the current iteration of the competitive mode. So it. They they can adjust the competitive mode for a different audience. I'll, I'll just say again, I don't think this is the right fix for this game because it's changing what makes Overwatch Overwatch. Yep. And making it more like League or Dota isn't the right direction to move this particular game. Actually, that's again, well maybe. said. We'll I, see. I agree completely with that. I, I will remain... Can we talk about Badass Grannies yeah. now? Yeah, let's talk about that. Let's talk about Badass Grannies. Because that... While we're talking about diluting the pool of heroes by adding more, we're finally getting our first new hero post launch. Finally, <laughs> the game's finally. only been out a few months. <laughs> finally, goddamn it, so Blizzard! For Sombra. <laughs> uh, well, the reason I say finally is because when the game released, it released with a much smaller number of heroes than it was anticipated. Games of the same nature release with more, and it's been a, it's been a thing that people have been complaining about. Let's be honest. Um, Anna is super damn cool. Oh. She is Farrah's Ma, who was a sniper for Overwatch and one of the founding members of Overwatch. And we finally got to see her. Badass Granny with her healing sniper. Healing sniper. With all of her tools and everything and her badass one-eyeness and her Destiny Hunter skin and everything that's amazing. Story aside, I'm not going to get to that just yet. She's interesting to me for the fact that she is a sniping healer. She's Roland. She is. She is absolutely Roland. <laughs> but it's it's so cool to have something like that because yeah. Roger and I, we love playing supports. We love playing healers. That's what we do in almost every game we play. This is cool Listen, because I put more hours into support and Overwatch than I have any other category. Because you've been so, forced into it. You would murder everybody. Well, given also, the because I really like Lucio and Zenyatta. So we also know that you would murder everybody given the opportunity to. So your opinion is kind of moot there. Sorry, I'm going to go with Roger on this one. <laughs> but the biotic rifle is really, really cool because it is something that can damage. Uh, it, it applies a damage over time if you hit an enemy. Otherwise, you can hit your friendlies and you snipe them and they heal and you get four shots of it before reload, which is really, really cool. Uh, she does have a scope mode for it, which is awesome because she is a sniper. 
I think that's so cool. It, it's very versatile too. Uh, she also has just, her. Uh, just getting back to the sniper rifle. The thing I like most about it is the the rifle can be used both offensively and defensively. Like it's an actual sniper rifle as well, but the aiming mode is different. Yeah. Because if you want to shoot an enemy, you have to line up your shot perfectly like you would with a regular sniper rifle. But has, if you're yeah, but but for, for the actual healing bullets on your own team, that's where the little triangle comes into effect and you'll heal them if they're anywhere in that zone. So that's a very important twist on the gameplay that yeah if you want to be a hardcore sniper go play Widowmaker but if you want to be this cool hero you don't have to be quite as you know 360 no scope with Anna as you would with a different character you know what makes you really happy though if like you headshotted your target and they healed for more we got a critical yeah yeah Yeah, that's something we were talking about as well me and Joe because I was saying like if, if you have to be getting direct shots on your team that is bouncing around like a bunch of yeah. freaking stupid motherfuckers. Nobody would play her. Then they're not going to heal. Oh, yeah. But because, I mean, Lucio, it's AOE healing, so you don't have to direct heal. And then Zenyatta, yeah, is far more direct, but even then. And uh, and Mercy is so easy because you just aim close to them and it'll, it'll snag whoever it needs to heal. So those kind of things are, are, are make it a lot easier to heal in a, in a frantic environment. But this here... Until I'd seen that triangle, I was a little worried. But then mm. once I saw it, I thought, again, this is genius design because part of the problem with healing as it is now is that you are in the fray for the most part and you are one of the first to be targeted, which is as it should be. But now you're going to be able to hang back quite a bit. And now you're going to see a lot of snipers who are finding perches in every map that and, and- are handy and good. And Widowmaker and Hanzo becomes so yep. much more important because now you have that counter sniper gameplay yep. it, that on a different level than it was before. Yep. Well, and that's another thing that was important to note is during the preview video, they showed uh, actual like gameplay stuff, not just like over animatics, which they did a little bit of. But the biotic rifle, when she was fight, she was sniping Widowmaker. She didn't quite kill Widowmaker in one shot. Mm-hmm. You could see like that damage over time was enough to tick off the last of her health, which I thought was kind of an important and cool thing because you absolutely can have those sniper battles. Now, dual functionality is also a thing for one of her other abilities, the biotic grenade, which I think is really cool. A biotic grenade is an AOE effect grenade that will heal allies in that small area, so you can throw it down and it'll give them a little bit of a heal. Uh, and it will also give them increased healing from all sources. Not just you, but like Lucio, uh, Mercy, if you're running double healer comp, which is not uncommon. Uh, you she, can, she's going to combine very well. She's with going to combine yeah. really well. Yeah. Not only that, she finally does the one thing that people have been asking for since Roadhog first took the field. <laughs> the grenade will also take enemies that are caught in it, and they cannot be healed. You can finally shut down his huffing. I'm sorry, breather. That, that alone pretty much makes her almost mandatory for any team that really wants to win. I, I mean, I'll need to see it for each map to see how it plays out, but that skill alone is enough to make me feel like she's damn near mandatory. Yeah, and, and the thing is, like, it's not going to be an instant auto thing either. It's going to take skill to land it, yep. and people can move out of it. Like, they're going to see it, and grenades are not easy to land in these games, folks. Let's be honest. This is actually... Yeah, it's not a very big AoE either. 
Tristan's been playing on the PTR, so he's actually been playing her already. So he's been telling me what it's been like and how it plays, and and he loves this character like a lot. Oh yeah, she might be my favorite so far. And he was talking about some of the combos as well. Like you're gonna get into her other abilities, and he was saying like he's pretty much found the McCree of instant death for her. And he said, like, it, it just requires a lot of skill. you got to be really good. And he wasn't bragging, but a lot of skill with setting everything up, the, the, the various abilities. But if you can time it just right, it's pretty much an insta-kill for her. Yeah, I'm guessing it's sleep grenade rifle. Yeah, the, there's a the few trio, things plus yeah. with a, a, a strike as well. Yeah. But you know what? If, if you've got to blow all of your abilities for a single kill, I think that's a reasonable balance trade-off. It's worth agree. it if it's a McCree. <laughs> it's it's Hanu. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> That's right. Next ability, which is Sleep Dart. She has a little sidearm that fires a sleeping dart and knocks somebody out for a few seconds. Uh, any damage they take will wake them up, but it's a really cool because it does interrupt alts, and that is amazing. It's Charging not quite as, as instant as they made it seem in the video, though. Uh, it is pretty instant, yeah. No, it's not. Tristan was saying, like, you need to pull the gun out, shoot it, and she puts it down. So it's not instant for that. Well, it's like two seconds. It's not that. Two seconds is a bloody long time when you're hearing it's on noon. (laughs) (laughs) Two seconds, I'm behind a wall instead. (laughs) I don't know, but it's still fun. And it's also, it's a kind of a cool little concept as well. Oh, it'll come in handy. It's going to come in very, very handy. Oh, God, I think yeah. it's going to be one of the big things about the game has become alt denial. Mm-hmm. Alt denial is a very strategic part of the game, and this will play into that depending she, on who it's facing against. Again, she's got two controls mm-hmm. to stop them from healing and then put them down or interrupt a an alt. Like that's a ton of control for one character. And then if that wasn't enough, if she if you didn't really enjoy the biotic rifle, the sleep darts, or the biotic grenades, her alt is stupid crazy good. Nano boost. When she alts, whoever she hits moves faster, deals more damage, and takes less damage from enemies. Not only is alt denial a part of the game and she has the tools to shut down another alt incoming, she now helps you make sure alts go off as well. Just talking about how this combines with Farah alone is amazing. Farah is one of those wonderful characters that I absolutely adore. My alt always gets interrupted because the minute I scream on the map, justice rains from above, everybody turns and murders the shit out of me. Yep. This gives me that extra little buffer to get through that alt so that I can't be denied. It's absolutely perfect for that. Or on those maps... And, and this is where we're talking about con- counter control for this as well. On those maps that have super hard choke points, Hanamura, uh, Temple of Anubis, King's Row have these weird corridors where if you set up just right, you can sit there and hold the team for several minutes at a time. This on a Reinhardt or a Diva or any tanky character lets you break through that fucking monkey just became a lot more terrifying oh god i hadn't even thought of that i have witnessed an alting winston with this you think monkey is bad now i ran the hell away i ran so fast and i couldn't run fast enough i died 
I died hard, and I watched him tear through an entire team. I watched him take a Reinhardt to zero in three hits. See, again, going back to my point, she is going to be damn near, like, required Almost, playing. Yeah, which... It's, I, which I, I'm, I'm not complaining about that. I think that's awesome. As somebody who, again, loves support, it's freaking awesome. And, and she's going to be where your tracers, your reapers, and like I said, even your counter snipers are going to be. Hopefully, if you're playing with somebody who knows how to play the game and plays a flanker properly, like that, she, this single character is adding such a huge layer of strategy into the game. Now, I should also say that her health is really low, so she's going to get killed by a lot of things. So that's kind of the counter to her. Like she's really, really good, but she's a glass cannon. Oh, what's her uh, her well speed boost essentially, or a grappler, or anything? Does she have any of that? Nope. Ooh, well, that mm-hmm. sucks ass. It's How the hell balanced. was she supposed to get up to the high spots then? So what we were doing on the PTE was become friends with May. Oh, that's fuck. exactly what we were doing. Oh, god. <laughs> But but that mean uh, but it's what it's led to though has been much more interesting placement, not just up high because there are a ton of. This is one of the things that if, when you play her, you'll learn real quick. There's lots of really really stupid good ground hiding spots for snipers. Like I never looked there until I couldn't get there anywhere else. She's got some really, really scary spots that she can hide, and other snipers will start taking advantage of that at some point soon, too. Like, those are limitations that make everything else that's good about her, like, balanced. That's her balance point. Mm-hmm. I love her. I I absolutely applaud them for this. I think this is fantastic. Oh, I can't wait to play it. I honestly, I can't. Did they I say, can't wait to not play her. Yeah. <laughs> Did they say... I can't wait to have her on my team. (laughs) Did they say when she's uh, going live? Uh, They have not announced it yet, but she's on the PBE, and I haven't seen anything about tweaking it, and they haven't released a new build, so I'm going to guess probably by the end of the month, early next month. Yeah, that's going to be awesome. Very, very cool. (laughs) Enough time so that people can get practice with her before the next competitive season starts. Yeah, pretty much. One of the things that I like, too, about her is that backstory. And again, there's a lot of people who play the game just to play it and they don't really care. Although most of the people that I've spoken to do care about that lore of the characters. And I really love how she ties into that. And I and I do love, because it is the first thing that a lot of people thought of, like you said, you're going to be making sure that you put that alt on on Farah and the idea that you're sniping your child to give them more power to make them able to do their job better. I love that. And I know for a fact that when I do that in game, that's exactly what I'll be thinking. I'm not going to be thinking, oh, some some guy playing this needs help or it might be a woman. I'm just saying. And uh, but here, boom, I'm going to help. I'm going to be thinking that aspect of the mother helping her child. I love. That. Oh, you haven't heard the voice lines between them yet, have you? I haven't. No. There are some really good choice lines in the lobby. Like we, that's the, that's the other thing that me and a bunch of my friends have been doing is literally just creating games, custom games, and sitting in the lobby with characters to see how they interact. Uh, the Farah ones are pure gold. Uh, Farah and her Farah will talk about going out and defending the innocents, and Anna will sit there and will say, "This is never the life I wanted for you. This is exactly what I fought against," mm-hmm. uh, which is you know kind of par for the course. And then there's the other one where she says. I will be watching over you. And then I forgot what I can't remember the um, 
the term of endearment she used, but she uses an actual term of endearment that one of my friends who's Middle Eastern was like, yeah, that's that's something I've heard my mom say to like me. And she's like, I'll be watching over you. And then Pharaoh goes, I now know I have nothing to worry about. And it's like these heavy moments. Like it's, it's, it's so it was like it's just like it's cool little touches like that. Like those are awesome moments to me. And I'm really happy that they did it. Plus, her voice actor is freaking amazing. Oh, yeah, it's going to be very cool. I also love the fan art and especially the cartoons that have been <laughs> like, coming out about this at all. And that was like almost instantly the grandma jokes and everything. I love the one where she gives a little strawberry candy yes! to Diva. <laughs> Diva. <laughs> the sick yes, brown candy. I thought that was so fucking because our granddaughter comes over and goes and sees Nan to go to get cookies and candies all the fucking time. Like that's our life now. So I, I saw that and I went, oh, that makes me want to play both of those characters now. <laughs> so, yeah. Are you going to talk about the, the, the origin trailer? So, no, I think I'll let you do that one because you haven't really done. Joe talked- has opinions. <laughs> I do. Well, I, have, I have one very strong opinion. Well, I, there's not really that much to it. It was a brilliantly done trailer. I really liked it. But then, I mean, it's Blizzard. They know how to do that. But you find out again how she was shot by Widowmaker. I love that it's a sniper shot through the fucking scope to take her Not, not only that she was and shot was, by Widowmaker, she was shot by Widowmaker because she couldn't take the shot, the shot herself. Yeah. That was actually the one part that for a... What amounts to, like, she is, she was freaking an assassin. An assassin for good people, but she still went out and killed people kind of thing. Like, something stupid, like 30 confirmed kills or something. So, the idea of not being able to take Widowmaker out. Widowmaker, what's her real name? Anne-Marie? Anne-Marie was her friend's husband, or friend's wife. It's somebody she knew. It it was a good friend of hers' wife. So, I, I can understand the enough hesitation that another top tier sniper would take. Okay, okay, yeah, I'll give you that. So... But yeah, so again, and then goes off, comes back, she's in the game. There, it, it wasn't a ton to it. It was just so well done cinematically to tell that story mm-hmm. and to convey the idea of this woman as not just the stoic hero, but to give her a family. And so you get to see the husband, you get to see the child, and you get to see how Farah grew up amongst the heroes because of her mother. Not because of her, but because of her mother. And then that legacy was born and, and blossomed from there, and that's why Farah then worked her way into it towards the end kind of thing. But I liked how the the interactions that she had with her team and things like that and how it changed over time and she they they show like the the different members disappearing or or in the case of the last two supposedly dying on her kind of thing on her watch so i i thought it was very well done my only little gripe was the widowmaker but what you said actually makes complete sense so i i take that back my gripe is the overuse of the they thought i was dead but I actually wasn't like five of the twenty some odd characters have that backstory. I agree. I, I think I think it's lazy. I think we could have done better, and I think it would have served it better just to say I crawled out of there and got myself to safety because I'm badass. But Joe, heroes never die. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> well, the whole theory of mercy bringing her back is shot to hell. I was actually a little disappointed in that. I gotta say. Because well, it th- would have been this cool. This just takes my crazy theory and moves it to another target. 
Because if she didn't die, clearly she's a hero, which means Widowmaker's husband was the true villain. Because that guy is super dead. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. We don't know. He could be the next Doomfist after Doomfist is rebuilt. We don't know. But, but, it, but it lends so much more because that's why Talon wanted him taken out. Remember, Talon and Overwatch, same team, different ideals. So, and Talon wanted him taken out specifically. That, that's important. Well, we don't know that. We don't oh, know that. I know that. that. <laughs> <laughs> I want it to be true, though it is. But how much we've talked about that should tell you how much we love this game. And even though it's like not like there's no campaign and all the stuff is like little drips and drabs through like the website or comics or little trailers. Yeah, we're cuckoo for this game. Okay, let's move on. It's already we're past the hour mark, so we're going to be really fast here. But there were a couple of other things, Joe, that you had found. I'm going to let you decide which you want to touch on because you had mentioned both Prey and Technomancer and a few other things. Technomancer I'm going to touch on very, very briefly. Uh, it's a game that we were really excited about and has been released to middling reviews, uh, mostly because it's a very ambitious project by a bunch of, by a small group of people. Uh, the review that I found actually summed it up pretty damn well, and I've actually gotten some time to play with it. Uh, it's a 90s RPG based on an 80s comic book. It's clunky in bits, but the atmosphere, uh, while off-putting at first, kind of grows on you. And you start to understand that, like, this is what bad sci-fi was back in the 80s and 90s. And it fits in with that aesthetic really, really well. Uh, Its price tag is a little bit hefty for what it is. But if you like sort of Dune-esque, Vampire Bloodlines, Cybermancy, Xenoclash-style storylines where things are weird and cultish and also super sci-fi-y with weird bodysuits and you like having complete control of your character... When it goes on sale, it might be worth picking up, but full prices might be a bit much asking for as far as it goes. Prey, on the other hand... Roger well, <laughs> said be fast, I was being... I don't give a shit what Roger said. Never does. <laughs> no, like, Technomancer... I, it, even, here's the thing. After, like, I read a lot of the response for it, and like you said, not super positive, I wanted to play this game even more. <laughs> because th- this is... So many of my favorite games that I still go back to and play over and over again are games that did try really hard and were really ambitious but couldn't quite stick the landing. I, I it's it's some of my favorite stuff to see like you know exactly what they were going for. Yeah, the finished result might not be super sure. polished, but I, I will always give extra credit to somebody that took a chance, and that that's what Technomancer is doing for me. Oh, no, I absolutely agree with you on that one. Uh, but it's it's got the same charm as, like, the original Mass Effect, and mm-hmm. The Witcher, I think, is a really good analog for it, the original Witcher, which yes. was funky and bulky, but goddamn, did I put so much time into that? See, see, Witcher was a little too far off for me, but it's one of those, like, that's why I loved Witcher 3 so much. I was like, they finally got it right. <laughs> Fair. But this is a lot more like Witcher 1, not Witcher 3. Mm-hmm. Now, Prey, I thought this was kind of interesting. I completely forgot this actually happened, but Prey's storylines were leaked years ago, and apparently we all forgot. Because everybody thought the game was never going to get made. <laughs> but, yeah, no, that's true. There, there was four main plots, and I'll just run through them real quick. Uh, one was the Groundhog Day-like scenario where the hero is living the same day over and over again uh, as he chases a woman named Danielle, also the name of his digital assistant in the trailer, by the way. Uh, and you basically are attempting to reverse engineer extraterrestrial tech gone horribly wrong. 
so there's that in that kind of weird time alteration thing. Uh, two was plot number two was more like a Dark City Brazil style thing where uh, it's a very idealized world, but then as you go through it, you start to see sort of cracks in the armor, which I thought was kind of interesting. Uh, sort of the men in black suits sort of take. And the uh, plot number three was players go through a basically your molder trying to prove the existence of aliens. But as you're doing that, things start happening like doors are backwards and like dogs are walking on ceilings or meowing like cats. And you realize that, oh, you were a test subject all along. And then there was the super, super flushed plot of number four, which was you're on a tropical island trying to discover aliens. But it looks like the current incarnation is a sort of a blending of plot one and plot three, which is really interesting to me. And I kind of think that I think that that has the potential to be really cool because I totally forgot those were a thing. You had me at secret aliens. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else before we wrap up? Uh, kudos to Xbox for adding actually uh, disabled avatars for their players because that was kind of a big thing. And I know a lot of my friends, I have a lot of friends who are in wheelchairs or uh, are otherwise physically disabled. We're super fucking giddy about that. So kudos to you, Microsoft. Yep, definitely. I yep. I had not seen it until you linked that. And I was like, oh, it's about fucking time. That's fantastic. Now give me a cane or a pair of crutches. <laughs> That's all I'm asking for. <laughs> and a glass of wine. <laughs> you don't want a scooter with flames on it? Dude, I would do it. I would yeah. fucking change my mind. <laughs> all right, that is going to wrap it up for tonight. Thank you for joining us. Again, apologize for the delay, but it was understandable if you had the details. You can find the show, of course, at forthelore.com slash live. You can find us also on iTunes and on Stitcher. You can find us on Twitter at forthelore or individually Joe is Loaders at J. Vince is Simodian and I am Zen Buddhist. And with that, we will talk to you guys next week. Thank you for listening to For the Lore. Each week, the show is broadcast live on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern. Stop by forthelore.com slash live to join the conversation and have your thoughts discussed on the show. If you'd like to hear more from the guys, check out Comic Book Informer, a weekly podcast from Vince and Roger, as well as Popcorn Ronin, a bi-weekly movie, TV, and anime podcast. And lastly, thanks to Manelli Jamal for the show's theme music. We encourage everyone to check out his site, ManelliJamal.com, or find him on iTunes and help support this incredible musician by picking up his CDs.